need some motivation on your Chinese business endeavor, may be curious about what the Chinese business environment is all about, or want to laugh out loud listening to war stories on the ground in China, then this is your show, China Business Cast. If you want to do business in China, you first have to get to China. Most people get inspired to do business with China after they arrive in China. But how do you find all these opportunities? Most of the time it starts with a job. And to land that job is maybe more difficult than ever. Becoming an expat and be sent to China is not that easy anymore. Most of the time you end up with a local contract. A foreigner with a local contract. Apparently there's a word for this. The China Flexpat. Well, at least for Francis Kramer and Patrick Flick, this is the word for it. They started their own podcast, The China Flexpat. And they're sharing stories of other foreigners on how they landed their job in the China market and boosted their careers. It's super inspiring to hear these stories. So I definitely recommend you to check it out and learn from them. Hope you enjoyed this episode and hopefully it inspires you to kickstart your Flexpat career in China. So as a podcast, the China Business Cast, we love sharing our knowledge and our, the people around us. We love also other podcasts that are related to China. And I came across one that I really think you guys should hear about. It's called the China Flexpat. And I was lucky to get the China Flexpat in this podcast, which is Francis. So welcome, Francis, to our show. Thank you so much, Simon. It's really great to be here. So the China Flexpad, for me, I now have an understanding about it because I've been reading about it and I've been talking to you about it. But what is it exactly and why did you get started and so passionate about this term? Well, I came to China the first time as an English teacher in 2004. I was, cannot even calculate, I think 21 years old. <laughs> and yeah, I came back in 2005 and was doing an internship and I was meeting lots of foreigners and I always had this dream to come back to China as like as an accomplished professional, have a good job, big income, whatever. Well, and I finished my university and I even had a Chinese wife, you know, not anymore, but I had one and I had lots of connection to China. I always wanted to come back to China and I did manage to get back, but it was very, very difficult to get a job with the same kind of security and income that I used to have in Germany because I was coming back after my th when I was in my early 30s. So I already had a job before in Frankfurt with a high income. And I thought if I go to China, I was married at the time. So I need to, you know, have a similar income to Germany, which is, of course, much higher than the Chinese income. So that leaves expat positions. So you can only do an expat position if you want to get such a high income. And I tried to do that and I managed to get one. It was really, really difficult. I found a European company sent me to China and they offered me kind of an, yeah, what was that? That was exactly the question. It was not an expert. And the company, the other expert made it clear to me, I, you're not an expert. You're not one of us because you're not been working in the company before in headquarters. You're like, a, yeah, whatever. You're like a local hire. And so <laughs> it took me some time to get introduced to this world in China where I was surrounded by expats and by Chinese professionals and by Haigui and also by these kind of, uh, yeah, Foreigners work in China, but are not experts, local hires, whatever. So I read this name, Flexpat. It's not my innovation. I read this in some kind of different books. And also yeah. actually one guy that used it in his own book is also Florian. He's also in our podcast as well. And he explained this in very much detail. 
uh, that this is um, just a, a way of doing expat positions with high salaries in China, but without an expat package, which is good for both sides, right? So I thought, okay, let's make this really, make it well known. Flexpat as someone who can do an expat job, but doesn't require the same payment and is more flexible. This is actually the most important part. Expat can work for one company and if he doesn't, he or she doesn't like the job, she more or less has to go home, right? And a flexpat mm. is really flexible, both enable to take just another job later, but also for the company to just take more flexible roles. And even compared to Chinese, I've also often seen that Chinese professionals, they, in their young 20s, they might be able to move from Shenzhen to Shanghai. But later they buy a house, they have a family, so they're happy to stay in one place, but that's it. So flexpats mm. can be more flexpats, more flexible even than Chinese. Maybe that's my missionary part here, but... This is, I'm, I'm really committed to this term and I think we can make it well known in the future. And I think you're one as well, Simon. Yeah, yeah, I am. I came in uh, 2011, but my dream started in 2005. I had a stopover in Hong Kong, my first experience with Asia. And I said, this is going to be my next journey is going to be going to China. So in 2007, I was in China for my thesis and I love the place. I love Shanghai. And I think Shanghai had the same energy as New York and still has. Very lively, very entrepreneurial, a lot of things happening. But I thought, okay, I need to graduate first and find a company who can send me as an expat to China. Because then I saw all the people that I met, they had amazing salaries, the houses paid, everything was arranged. I was like, this is what I would like. Absolutely. And I wasn't able to get it. I was in the consulting industry. And consulting in China, if you don't speak Chinese, at the time I didn't speak Chinese, very difficult because you need to figure out the local requirements and local market information. So there was no opportunity for me to step into the company that I was working for in the Netherlands. So I had to look for something else. So I went to look for my own flexpad job. So I went on a holiday for two weeks to find a job eventually meeting so many people, but it worked. So there's always an opportunity to become a flexpad wherever you are. You just have to put in the work. I don't think it's all about luck, but it's about putting in, in the work. Yeah, but why did you really want to come back to China? I've been traveling a lot, but mostly to English-speaking countries. Mm. And I was, 2007, I was, my challenge was to do a research in a non-English-speaking country. And I was in China or India. These two countries I basically just chose because I found I want to do international trade, international business. These are the two countries to look after. And Yeah, basically a flip of the coin. I, I really liked the girl in Beijing that I said, okay, China is going to be China. So uh, the girl left by the time I came here, but I still remained, to, remained in, in China itself after so, my interest state. But uh, yeah, all, all went well after so many years. So I'm a living uh, flex, but I came here with a very low salary. I, I like yourself. I had a good job in the Netherlands. I think my first job was 12,000 RMB which is maybe 1,500 US dollar, which is very low after three-year work experience. So it's challenging. Yeah, yeah. So what do you recommend about now? I mean, maybe it's a few years later than now, but we had lots of discussions about money. We have guests that are general managers now, and they said that they started on a local salary and they were one step from just leaving the table and going home. To say, you know, this is not what I thought. I thought, you know, I work for a German company and they should pay me at least something similar, but date, and then they worked their way up and it worked out. But we typically recommend something above 20,000 RMB now for flex pets. 
Yeah. This is still, if you live in Shanghai, it's still not making a good living, but it, at least if you concentrate, you can save something and you can also take it from there and grow into 30s and 40s. It should be something in that area. But it's we always tell people that most important thing is to build a track record. So you choose an industry, you go to China, you work in that industry and in that job where you also want to proceed working back home in 5, 10, 20 years. You don't do something in China what you cannot do at home. It really doesn't make sense. I think also for you, Simon, right? What you used to do in China, you're going to proceed doing that back home, right? Yeah, exactly. And basically, based on the network that I've built over the years, that has opened up the opportunity that I'm doing now. Of course. So it's been all about the track record. Yeah, exactly. So you just change the location, but you keep doing the job, right? Yeah, I'm committed to China, so... That's not going away. It's just going to be in a reverse role. But yeah, just like you said, uh, for me, most of, I always say like 15,000 RMB is really the minimum mm, for, yeah. for a foreigner to come mm. because the people around you have also a different lifestyle mm. and you need to socialize. Mm. You need to be yeah. able to course, go out, have a drink, have a dinner yeah. sometimes. Otherwise, you will go crazy in the first few years just being only surrounded in the Chinese company, living a Chinese life. The transfer will be too harsh, I would say. And this is exactly why I ask you also to come to China. This is China business cast. Although we're not talking about business, it's very relevant to understand the people that are coming to China to either run a business or be employed, how that journey is going. So the Flexpad itself, what has been the response to this? Because you started this year with this podcast, but you had it in your mind for quite some time, I think. But what has been the response so far? The word Flexpad. Well, I start not having to explain it. That's a big, Big step ahead. In the beginning, <laughs> the first question was, what is Flexpad again? You know, please. Uh, even on the show, you know, I even had a guest on the show. I asked the question, what recommendations would you give to Flexpad? They say, what is Flexpad again <laughs> on the show? My goodness. No, but the first target is really that people understand what a Flexpad is. And my second target is that Volkswagen will change the name local expat to Flexpad in their official job contracts, Volkswagen and Bosch. You know, I'm German, so these are the, the biggest companies in this industry. So they have this term already. They call it local expat. And I want them to oh. come to me and say, Francis, because of your podcast, I'm going to change the name to Flexpad. And this is, but just joking, the recognition is quite cool. So people come, they reach out by LinkedIn, they reach out to our guests. We always try to build a community around it. So every guest coming on the show is a Flexpad and every guest is able to answer some specific questions. And they also do. So they also, we have a WeChat group with a Flexpad guests coming on the show, like you, Simon. And so they are able to share if someone contacts them and it happens a lot. So we also saw a first success story that one of our guests, uh, she was telling a lot about how to find a flexpad job in China in her company. And then someone contacted her and said, I listened to your podcast. And then she hired him. Awesome. So that's really kind of cool. And uh, it was this guy was a flexpad already for some time. And he's going to be the first international hire in that kind of like the first Flexpad, like in a specific situation for the company. They're really, really cool. So we're not trying to change the world, but there is a lot happening and many people reach out to us who are quite frustrated and they are happy that someone is explaining it to them, how to do it yeah. in China. And there's lots of books and lots of yeah, podcasts and YouTube and stuff, but most is about stories, stories. So how did I do it? Why did I do it? And what did I learn? And so on. But it's not about you, not about the guest, not about the audience. So what should you do? Like a how-to. 
uh, how to guide book, how to cook, how to, you know, what to do. And this is what I think is, yeah. is so important for young people to understand. If they want to come to China, they can get really, really badly treated and they can lose a lot. And they can also win a lot. And if they have the right people to educate them, then they can take the right decisions and it's going to be a really cool life. Yeah. So the episodes, like you said, is more about stories of flexpats to get an understanding about their journey. So what has been the red line through these stories? Is there any like things that, that are very similar, that you have some similarities in these, within these stories? Yeah, of course. It's always about the story, how they came to China and what kind of decisions they made while here. And then it really depends on the age and the job of the persons in the podcast. So we've always tried to discuss the question of the language. So how do they speak Chinese? And there are some people who speak very well and some people who don't speak Chinese. And the generic understanding is that those who don't speak Chinese make more money. It's actually quite oh, tough. Wow. So I always advise people to focus on their track record, to do something what they really think they can do good and better than anyone else and not focus on learning Chinese. Of course, I speak Chinese as you do and I really love it and I enjoy it and I work for a Chinese company and normally I speak English to my boss and now I speak Chinese to him because my Chinese has grown so much that it's great for me, but it's not how I make money. I work for this company because I'm a business guy. I've been working in international sales for more than 12 years now and I'm really an expert and I know how to coach and how to do planning and negotiation. And this is what drives my, my track record. And this is also what we find in the podcast that some people come and they explain something in China, you have to do like this and this and this. And then you ask the old drivers who make a lot of money and they say, well, I don't do like that. He worked just mm. like in Germany and they pay me crazy here. So, well, maybe he's doing it right. This is what the, <laughs> the stories in the podcast really show that, there, yes, there is stuff you should do, be doing right. And, but there's also some people are successful in China and some people are not. And we try to really make sure that people learn what kind of jobs really have a chance in China. And that's also a red yeah. line throughout the episodes. So yes, there's stories and yes, there's advice. But what we really want to do is to show that if you want to come to China to do a career, then don't start teaching English. Start working in the profession where you want to work, even if you only make 10,000 RMB. But start doing something what actually helps you to grow. And don't think that you just have your feet in the door in China and then take it from there. Yeah, it does work and it did work. But... I wouldn't recommend it today and our guests also wouldn't do. Yeah. I think we have a lot in common besides running a podcast uh, as well. I, exactly what I, the one thing I didn't want to do to come to China is being an English teacher. Not because I think I'm too good for it. It's just not the career that I wanted to, to have in the future. So it just didn't make sense. And we, we had the pleasure just before this episode to be that I was your guest on your show. And you, know, you also asked me about what my advice would be for FlexPets. So now I have the chance to ask you. So what would you have an advice for, a personal advice for a China flex pet? Well, I would just really do what, what I just recommended. Try to learn from the experts. Try to learn from people who've been here before. Don't learn from people who write books or whatever. Talk to people who've been here and try to find people you can follow. Don't try to make every decision by yourself. So this is why we do the podcast. Listen to the episodes. Try to figure out from the 30, 40, 50, by the time you listen to this episode, I don't know, we have 30 now. So it's going to be 100. So there should be five, six people you can learn from at least. Reach out to them and talk to them. You know, Talk to them about your vision, what you want to do. 
and ask them if you're going to fuck up in China or if you're going to make it. If be willing to learn from them and not make your own experience. And I did exactly that. When I wanted to come to China, I phoned lots of people by LinkedIn. LinkedIn was by the time still just growing. And I so I used German Xing, you know, it's a German platform to reach out to people I found were working in China. I called them, I asked them and always the same questions and so on. So this is what I would recommend to people. Come here prepared. Don't come here as a yeah. greenhorn. Really, don't do that. You're just going to be thrown under the bus. So please, when we people contact me, the best question is always they come here as the expat wife. You know, guy has an expat job. His wife is, you know, and they just say, oh, I'm going to go to Suzhou and I'm going to find a job. Yeah, try. But it's not easy. It's really not easy. The best would be your husband uses his guanxi to find some job, whatever you do. Just find a job. But of course, people don't want to do it. They think, ah, oh, it should be possible. I'm going to find something. And then lots of people told you lots of bullshit, right? They come and they tell you, ah, sure. And Suzhou, there's so many German companies. You're going to find something and no problem. And you can make money. And then they have these crazy expectations that they're going to have the same amount of holiday like their husband and they're going to have the same amount of income and whatever. And this is what I mean. They are not prepared. They're talking to the idiots. You know, the husband is just working in the expat bubble and it absolutely sucks. Sorry for my language, but it's just something where I, I just tell people, if you do that, you're greenhorn. If you want to live like an expert, go back in time, 10 years, start working for Bosch and come here 10 years later. Then you can have these kind of expectations. If you don't, then for you, it's only the choice if you want to sit at home or you want to take something where you actually get employed. So you need to make sure that you find the right people giving you the right advice, right context. If you look for a job as a flexpat in China, ask people for contacts, advice and contacts. Don't ask for a job. Don't go to someone and say, I want to have a job in China. What can I do? No, go to somebody and explain what you want to do and ask them for a contact of their friend. And I will recommend Simon. You know, he's going to help you. He knows all the people who worked for Alibaba, e-commerce in China, absolute expert. And Simon is going to recommend Francis, right? Chinese industry and EV drives and whatever. That's how you approach and find jobs in China because you have contacts and people to take you from A to B. That's important. That's how it works. Yeah, fully agree. For this year, regarding COVID, did anything change for China Flexpad? Yeah, it did. So there were some people working in typical jobs in China and they sometimes went home over Chinese New Year and then expats who didn't come back, they just stay with their company. You know, they didn't come back because they, whatever, they couldn't come back. So they work in a home country, even home office for six, eight, seven months. The company will make sure one day they send them back, pay 5,000 euros for the plane ticket, visa, whatever, just make sure they come back. For flexpats, they just, to be honest, they just don't do it. So they say, sorry, there's something come up. I'm really sorry about this, but you're based in Brazil now and we work in China. You cannot come back. So that's it. That's tough. It's really tough for people who have a dream to work in China and they only wanted to go home because of uh, Chinese New Year. And then somebody sent them in WeChat message and said, sorry, there's some COVID thing in China. Better you stay home for like two or three weeks and then you miss the last chance to come to China and then that's it. So that's actually pretty tough. On the other hand, I didn't meet so many foreigners, flexpats in China who lost their job in China in this time, even in the automotive industry or in other industries that were really heavily hit. So I would say the biggest problem this year were people going home and not coming back on time. Yeah, unfortunately, I did hear stories that people were trying to keep up their work from where they were, where they moved to after Chinese New Year. And after two or three months, Basically, the Chinese company had to cut costs. 
and then you look at which one is the fair, easiest way to cut. And normally it's then the person that's not in the office. <laughs> and so you don't lose face as well to the people that are still in the office. So it's been unfortunate, but uh, the journey continues. It's not an ending. It's just an uh, obstacle on the road, I would say. So for Flexbed itself, what kind of future opportunities do you see? Do you think there's got to be more demand for it or and what kind of demand? So generally, I would say there's two big things happening. First, the Chinese workforce is going to be like a lot more professional in the future. So it's going to be that uh, they come back, like you have a high grade, right? So professionals, returnees coming back from Australia, US, Britain, and so on. So they educated abroad. This has been the case in the last 10 years, right? But this is going to be more more professional in the future. So they are going to take a lot of expert jobs in the future. Also, my company, Chinese company, we don't have a single high grade, not one. But a lot of people speak very good English, very professional. So I do see that the professionalism is going to grow. This is why I ask all of the flexpats in the interview and in the podcast and also outside, how do, we, do you differentiate as a foreigner? Why should they hire a flexpat, not a Chinese? If I, if I had the chance in my company, I'd hire a Chinese, tell you directly. So hire a foreigner if there's a specific reason. For example, I needed the CTO for for the operation to make it international, to do some quality check, quality management, or some very specific topic. Or if I want to make sure that I have a key account manager for German companies and whatever, some very specific topic. So this is going to be more difficult in the future to find these kind of jobs. At the same time, there's going to be more foreigners coming into China, going to Chinese business schools, English language Chinese business schools. So they're going to be dropped on the Chinese market and they're going to try to stay here like the greenhorns. Just stay here in China, try to work in China, open their own business, working for international companies. So it's going to be pretty easy for Chinese companies to pick a foreigner, you know, a Lawai. It's no, no problem. It's no big deal. So again, comes back to the question, what's your, your key performance? What can you offer to a Chinese or a foreign company in China? And that's why I also want to prepare myself because I like to stay here. I like to earn a lot of money and I want to differentiate. And at the same time, I like to teach. So I don't want to keep back my wisdom. I want to make my guys in my company so clever. They don't need me anymore. And they just choose to keep me. And if they don't need me anymore, I want to move on. So this is just something I think in China for myself, there's not much more I can do in China apart from being a general manager, maybe a consultant, maybe a coach, but it's a very small market of jobs. And if you're below that, it's very difficult not to be replaced. And Even in sales, yes, you can do sales. But if you do sales in China with Guanxi and Hongbao and stuff, my goodness, it's it's really difficult to to do this in as a foreigner. And you can add value, yes, but at some stage, it really helps mm, to be a Chinese in a Chinese environment. And I see big pressure. There is one kind of big area of hope, and this is that there's always going to be German, French, Dutch, Brazilian, American. British companies here in China, and they're all going to have a big issue trusting Chinese to run their business. If I'm not sure if I agree, but I understand that they would like to have people from their own nationality on the board in their company. So I do see, I do expect that these companies will stop sending expats to China, maybe only the professional technology guys, and they're taking all the leadership roles from Chinese professionals of flexpats. So yes, again, for very specific jobs, the market will grow and this kind of market requires experienced flexpats like me, like you, 
they cannot hire the the guys from the business school that just came, you know, from Shanghai. And this is also good growth. So I don't feel any issue for me, but I also tell everybody that it's a tough market, very competitive. And you come to China because you want to and because you want to be in this competitive market. You choose freedom and not security. You want to have a cool life and fight for it. And yeah, that's what I do. And that's why I like to be here. And I hope to stay for a long time. Living the dream, right? <laughs> At least I Yes, <laughs> I do. The Chinese dream. Yeah, exactly. The Chinese dream. By the way, do you, do you know the China dream guy? No. There's a guy for this? No, there's a website, My Chinese Dream, My China Dream, Fion. He's very famous on LinkedIn. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, Fion. He is from Australia, I think. That's, I just thought about that. Okay, maybe you should get him on the podcast as well. I will try. I will try. He has really crazy stories. I, uh, about, uh, he interviewed at least 10 to 20, I think even more, people telling their stories about their China dream. Yeah, he sent me some really links cool. with the yeah. videos, the recordings. He sent me some links with the videos, the recordings. It's really cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's a very interesting guy to follow, for sure. Yeah, yeah, I know. I think everyone that's related to China is already connected with him, at least the foreigners. He's doing a good job for himself. Maybe we should both get him on the podcast, you know? Oh, no, yeah. yeah, we can try. We can try. So, yeah, you already mentioned a little bit about what you're doing now. You, you mentioned you're for working for a Chinese company in automotive. Can you share a little bit more about what it is you do on a daily basis? I work for a Chinese family-owned enterprise. So my boss is the son of the family that founded the company 30 years ago. And his parents are still in business. So they're like about 70, a bit younger than my parents. Or my father, my mom passed away this year. And it's for me, it's like working for my dad. You know, it's, he's much younger, but his whole mindset is my boss is just like this kind of family guy. And it's very important for him to proceed with his business and move it over maybe to his kids maybe to somebody else but he has like a very high responsibility a really crazy vision so my job is actually i always say this my job is to help this guy that's my job so apart from that i try to make his company international so my team is i have five six people in sales another eight people in project management and they make sure that international customers who buy our machines in China. Normally, the machines are made in China and they are also shipped to a Chinese plant, but the company is international. So their standards are coming from Europe or from US or from other countries, Japan. So they have very high standards and they need international project management and international key account management. And this is what I make sure my guys do. I try to make myself independent so that they don't need me to do this, but that I make sure that everybody has their specific role. And a Chinese company is very hierarchical, very hierarchical. So you have, typically you have a boss and then you have a Guan Li Cong. So you have some kind of a management layer with the Zhong Jian. So Xiao Shou Zhong Jian, Xiao Shou Zhong Jian is the sales the middle director. Managers, yeah. yeah, and you have lots of Cai Gao Zhong Jian and Shi Chang Zhong Jian and so on. So lots of uh, managers in this area. And my job is also to make sure that this communication works between the project management and key account managers, what I believe should really drive the company. They are the new kids on the block. They are, most of them are younger than 30 and they make big decisions for the future of our company. And I need to make sure that their decisions, that they can actually really do make decisions and that the boss is respecting them. And also the Guan Li Song is also respecting them. It's very difficult. It's a big change because I grew up in Germany 
and their project management, uh, project managers is the, is the first management layer. So if you do well, you get promoted to project manager. And even you do that 10 years, you have a lot of power. People will listen to you. They give you lots of responsibility. Maybe not guys, you know, maybe you cannot lead anyone, but you got a lot of power. And this is just very different in China. So in China, if, you, if you're not a manager, you don't have a team, uh, then you're like nobody. And this is something I tried to change to get the company to understand. These young kids, you know, they are the future of your company. So trust them and give them more power. I just try to think like a German in a Chinese company. And yeah, actually it works. You know, it's as crazy as it sounds. It works. Yeah, it works. It's not. I've been in China long enough to understand when I should, you know, keep my mouth shut. But the funny thing is that I often, I wait a long time to talk to my boss about something. Because I think it's, it's not polite and it's his company, he should do this. And it's not my place to tell him. And then I have a meeting and I, I tell him something like, look, your guys are afraid of you because you're the boss and they don't want to make the decision because if they fuck up, then, you know, what happens? Even if they, if they just, you know, do something what he doesn't like. And this is for me so important to, to show him that he can trust his guys and show my guys that they can trust him. And that they really add value to the company. It's, it's something like my teaching role in the, in the company is really cool. It's by far the best job I've ever had. Mm. Interesting. I, I also still remember in my first years uh, at a meeting and then the boss was explaining what he wanted. And then after the meeting was finished, I walked to my desk and all the other people went to another meeting room. And then they asked me, Simon, where are you going? Why are you going to your desk? I said, we finished, right? No, now we're going to have a meeting about to interpret what their boss just explained to get <laughs> because nobody dared to ask a question during that meeting. Crazy. So they started to have a new meeting to actually uh, ask the questions to each other and figure out what it is exactly that they needed to do. Things that have changed, this is several years ago, but I think most places it's still what the boss says is the truth and they can make a mistake for sure, but you follow the instructions. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's all the experience we make. So I really enjoy doing this. I, I know both worlds and I don't think I'm going to work for a Chinese company for all my life. I'm a German and I also, you know, lots of my competitors are German companies, German machine companies, and, and they try to do business in China and I hope they are successful really, but maybe I'm going to work for one of them in the future. Who knows? At this stage, yeah. I just, I, what I try to do now is to help yeah, my, my, my brother-in-law actually told me, you know, Francis, you should not help the Chinese get so successful, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just something I do now. And then I just hope to, to have a, an interesting career and enjoy what I do and make some change and also take out something for myself and my surrounding. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So normally I ask all the podcast guests to also share their war story about living in China. Do you have any any like tough experience that you were able to overcome in the years? I guess so. Yeah, actually, the biggest issue for me is really project management. It's something I've been trying to work on in the past six months. It's I've never been a project manager in my life. Never. I've always I've started to work in sales, and so I was always a, an account manager. So new business, account management, key account management, strategy, marketing business development and, you know, trying to think for the customer. And then I had project managers who kind of take it up the leads and try to work through the project. So I had requirements to project managers, but I'd never been doing it myself really. And then I started here in this company and I really had the feeling the project management like totally fucked up. Like really. So you sell a project and then it just doesn't work. And I've been here now for like 
10 months and I try to figure out how to improve project management, but I've never been doing it myself. And this is a great chance for me because any other company, they would say, oh, Francis, never been doing that yourself. So how do you want to be the boss of the project management? That's crazy. And for me, I, I try just to think, okay, what's my requirement as a sales guy? What do I request of these, these guys? And I tell them, for example, to, if they have a problem with a supply chain, they told, tell the boss because the boss told them to use this company and he has guanxi to this company so he can call the boss of the other company and give them some shit right and if they call the other company they will just call on their own level so they will just call the project manager from the other company and they will they can call for three months nothing will happen so for me it's very difficult i told, tell the project manager, call the boss tell the boss to call the other one he will never do that ever because they're always afraid that you know he calls a boss and his leader will be disappointed and even his leader's leaders will be disappointed because this boss is like there's three levels between. And I just say, you know, project manager is the most important person in the company. So why can you not just call the boss? You know, you're, you're representing 25% of our annual revenue. One person, one person, 25% of the whole revenue for one year. And they are afraid to call the boss. It's for me, it's so difficult. So this is something I love to change and I love to experience and I love to find my own way. And it's also, it's frustrating me. It's, it's very difficult to change this. And I've been asked to do trainings about this. And I just, my way to do this, I don't want to do trainings. So I want to give everybody a clear responsibility in two or three projects and to say, you have to lead these two projects and you have to get them done. And I will tell you what I think, but I will just tell you to get it done and I will give you recommendations and sometimes I'm going to call the boss myself but actually I expect you to do that even if you don't like it and reactions is good so but what still happens is that I'm calling the boss and then the boss is calling the other exactly. boss company and then the problem solved and this took 20 minutes and it drives me crazy because yeah. I think it shouldn't even request the boss you know the project manager could call the other company and but it's just that's my way of for me, it's very difficult to understand, but I just learned that I cannot change everything and some things will just stay this way. And it is a good way for me to enjoy my career in the future, to learn to get this done. And also maybe in the future, I can tell everybody, I'm a great project manager, exactly. right? I figured it out exactly. how to do that in China. Yeah. yeah. So I know myself as well, we're running a business. You're used to, from a Western mindset, to do delegation. And in China, it soon came back to instructing much more on an instructive level. Yeah. Although you want to move the, the team towards independence and taking their own responsibility, you always still have to get a feel of what the things that are being done. So you always, are, you always have to know the details still. <laughs> it's hard to let go. So that's just, uh, I think, the reality and, and where developments in China still have to go and, and the quality of and the freedom that people feel. I think the Chinese have the quality and the ability it's more, from a cultural perspective, more difficult to overcome and raise a flag whenever something is not right. Yeah, I, I totally understand. Cool. What I really like is that I now get more, now I've been in the company nearly one year, and now I get my leaders come to me and say, you know, they, they are going to go to the boss and they're going to complain about this because they really believe it. Really, it's they're really pissing them off and say, yeah, you know, something happens, something changes. <laughs> and that's good. It takes some time and it requests me to be patient. And I never, you know, you know me, Simon, right? I'm not kind of the patient guy. I'm always active, always doing something, you know. 
And it helped me to find out for myself, okay, if I'm active myself, I'm actually slowing down the process of the company. So I need to get them active. And I cannot just push them. I need to un them to understand that they can have to act without me pushing. They have to take responsibility. And they do. It takes time, but they do and they grow and it's great. And I'm really happy about this. Before we wrap up, I know you, you're trying to reach 1,000 followers on LinkedIn oh, yeah. this year for the Flexpad podcast. How, how are you doing so it's far? It's 800 46 today <laughs> so there's 150 54 there. left but i think you've got like 2,000 listeners right so they can all go and click follow exactly let's try to get this out before christmas and see if this last week of the year can make you jump past i hope the 1, i do hope mark. do me a personal favor add me on linkedin francis kramer you're gonna see it here and if you go on my on my page you're gonna see the china flexpad podcast and if you're gonna google it it's chinaflexpad.com it's very easy It's also easy to be a guest like Simon uh, on our podcast as well. So if you have a story to tell anything about working in China, how you came here, what you want to recommend uh, Greenhorns to do or not to do, let me know. Awesome. Thank you so much, Francis, for joining. And we'll keep in touch. Thank you. Zaijian. <laughs> Doing business in China is a complex world. You can quickly feel alone and lost in its maze. But don't worry. China Business Cast is here for you. Sign up for our newsletter and regular updates on our website at www.chinabusinesscast.com. Thanks for tuning in.